0: Hello, and thank you for joining back up with Danielle and I as we jump into part two of this podcast about healthy relationships. Um, as part of healthy relationships, we're going to be talking about consent in this next part and the mature content that comes with it. So please be aware of the audiences around you as you listen. Um, parents, if you're with young ones, um, just just letting you know ahead of time, Um you know, so just be aware of your audience and the folks around you uh, as well with this conversation. We recognize that it can be um, a very serious, sensitive and triggering topic. So um, please, we we invite and ask you to take breaks as needed. And of course, as mentioned before, a bunch of resources will be located in the description uh, below with links. You can click them um, and, and find the information and the resources you need. All right. Here we go. Hello and welcome back to part two. I am still here with Danielle and I have a couple more questions, um, six in total, uh, to, to, to go through. Um, and, and so uh, just a reminder, the resources are going to be played again at the end of this podcast. Um, and they're in this description as well. So, if you're looking for those or you need to take a break, please, again, feel free to, uh, as this is a sensitive topic. All right. Ready? Yeah. All right. So, the next question is, um, we. D- I'm going to read this as I wrote it from the email, because <laughs> I think it's, I, like... I want you all to know, I'm learning too. So, um, (laughs) we do a lot of putting responsibility on, and then in parentheses, I said, I know there has to be a better word than victim, and I'm cringing using it, so please feel free to correct me. Um, we do a lot of putting the responsibility on, um, the victim, and I think it's time to take ownership when it's us doing the wrong thing, so let's set some ground rules. What is consent, and what is not consent? So... I wanted to talk about
1: the victim versus survivor language mm-hmm. um, because I think that's a place where sometimes people stumble or where they don't think enough about mm-hmm. Um So, in FIRE, typically we use victim-centered language when we talk about symptomology or when we talk about statistics. Okay. So, symptomology being some of the things that can happen after experiencing sexual violence, Mm. specifically for FIRE. Mm -hmm. Um. So, a victim experiences PTSD, or 97% of victims, da-da-da-da. Okay. Whereas we use survivor-based language for literally anything else. Okay. So... A survivor comes into fire or um a survivor went to this resource mm-hmm. or whatever the the sentence will be um i also personally use person who is experienced xyz mm-hmm. um because it kind of removes either of those labels for folks who don't know how to um understand what they experienced or don't maybe want to have the label of either victim or survivor because both of those have some pretty intense, um, histories behind them where victim, a lot of people see it as, well, there's like two halves of seeing victim sort of mm-hmm. where it's a person who has experienced this crime and this painful thing and that's what happened or victim in the way of, um, you know, down and out and sad and, and life is rough. mm mm-hmm. Both of which are valid to view. I mean, you can say that you're a victim of sexual violence and say that I'm still in victimhood. I'm still hurting. I'm still in pain. And that's 1,010% um, valid. And then the side with survivor usually is seen as empowering and motivating and super awesome and super wonderful. And that's great. Mm -hmm. But I've heard a ton of people say, no, I don't feel like a survivor i am still going through this healing process mm-hmm. i feel much more like a victim whereas kind of to just disclose a little bit about myself i've experienced sexual violence but i don't really associate with either victim or survivor i just know that that's what happened mm-hmm. um and so i also will integrate some language of person who experienced xyz thing um to kind of again sort of with what was said in the first part of the the podcast or the first yeah, part. Yeah. Um, is that I like intentional vagueness. Um, I think that it
0: is powerful and useful, and I like it. Well, and then, I guess too, I think when you are utilizing victim or survivor, you're defining someone else, right? Um, and and the, what you said, person who is experienced allows them to define themselves and have that power. So thank you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and it is okay to. Identify as one way or another
0: mm-hmm.
1: if somebody comes in and you call them survive like speaking about again in fire. Um, if somebody comes into fireplace and s- I say, you know, something about your survivor and they tell me, no, I'm a victim, then I will use victim centered language with them until they tell me to stop mm-hmm. um, because people get to pick their identities and pick their labels. Um, so there's that. I just wanted to talk about it, have Thank a little you. conversation. Thank you. <laughs> no, I
0: appreciate that because I, I was typing that out and I, uh, yet yeah, last night uh and i as i was doing it was like oh like yeah. i was like i know this isn't right um and i just but i don't know what other word to use so thank you
1: yes yeah um and honestly thank you for being honest about not knowing i think that's a really important part of doing work in this realm and really in any sort of social justice realm as being able to say "Mm, I just don't know like Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure and I'm willing to listen to someone who does know or Mm -hmm. I'm willing to look up information
0: yeah and caveat that's one thing I should have as I was sitting there cringing googled um (laughs) because it, it shouldn't be uh the responsibility of others to educate you especially not now when there are so many resources out there where you can I mean you can literally say hey Siri what is you know yeah. What, what are other ways to say this or is this correct um, yeah so so definitely and i would like to own up to that too so uh, <laughs> i definitely could have just googled that last night yeah that's true yeah
1: i can also <laughs> sorry i was just like no, trying you're to think good, you're good. i think it's like also like yes i think that google is very efficient and especially like for understanding a multitude of different conversation pieces um I think that it can also be difficult to read cuz so many people have so many differing opinions too. Yeah. Um so if you get overwhelmed by Google, that's okay. Me too. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Um so consent though. Yeah. Now now we can shift back into the original question. <laughs> um which consent is my favorite topic to discuss? I um part of firework is doing um presentations and so we have a couple of slides dedicated to talking about consent but specifically there's two of like my favorite slides to just go ham on and be the most extra person that I can be because consent is amazing and can be so fun and can be silly and can be great and I don't think that we talk about how it can do that and we focus so heavily on oh, it's, it's, it's this thing that you have to have. And that's very true, but it doesn't have to be so scary. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be fun and sure. It might be awkward, but whatever. It's awkward. That's how life is sometimes. Life is just full, always awkward. Yeah. I have never not been awkward. I don't know how to (laughs) not be. (laughs) Um, So I actually have a question for you. Okay. So if you had to define and consent, um, define consent in one word, what would you say for that one word? So, like, me giving you consent? Um, just, like, the definition. So, like, not necessarily giving, but just, like, what's consent? What is it, if you had only one word, an alien came down, needed one word. Yes. Uh, That was my alien noise. Um. Agreement. Agreement. Okay, cool. So, what if a person
0: agrees when they're intoxicated? Not, not, well, they're not fully, they're not fully there. They're, um. Dang, that's tricky. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Um, so, not okay. That's what I would say to that. Yes. I, I would say <laughs> err on the always err on the side of that's not a yes.
1: Yes. So I do this not to make anyone feel embarrassed because that's not what the point of this is. I do this to recognize that consent is an incredibly simple and yet entirely complex thing yeah. that cannot be said in one word. Mm-hmm. Consent is a conversation. It's not just... Yes, or it's not just mm-hmm. It is, here are my boundaries. We talked about boundaries last time, right? So mm-hmm. we're talking about it this time, too, that consent is more than just a verbal yes. It is a multitude of different things. I keep saying multitude. Wish I had more words. Um, so <laughs> the way that we define it in FIRE is that consent is a voluntary, sober, imaginative, enthusiastic, creative, informed, mutual, honest, and best if verbal agreement. So we kind of cover a lot of different bases. So we start with voluntary, just to say that everyone has to be in agreement. There can't be any sort of force or coercion. Mm. Everyone experiencing whatever is happening. Specifically, we're talking about sex um, for our presentations. Is that we we all have to want this. It also should be sober. So drinking can't can't really be a part of the conversation when it comes to consent. We kind of have a rule of thumb and fire if a person um is too intoxicated to drive like if we would not trust them to get in their car and drive home safely they should not be having sex it's like no car no sex keep it happy i guess (laughs) that's a word that choice um and then it can be imaginative so we talk about the different ways that we can ask for consent So maybe we say, hey, want to have an orgasm contest right here, right now? Great. That's so fun. Maybe somebody says yes. Maybe somebody says no. But we asked. Um, Or, you know, there's a multitude of ways to ask about it. Mm -hmm. It also should be enthusiastic. So if I ask my partner, hey, want to have sex? And they say, sure. Okay. Like, does that person want to have sex with me? Maybe, but... Maybe I should check in to make sure that they really want to, because we're looking for more of, like, a heck Yasu baby been waiting all day for this type reaction. Excitement. Excitement, exactly. We want them to want to have sex. It shouldn't be a chore or, like, another thing on the to-do list. It should be something intimate and wonderful and cool and, I don't know, maybe a little spicy. (laughs) Um... It can be creative, um, but it should definitely be informed. So if my partner asks me, hey, want to have sex? And I say, heck yes, ooh, baby, been waiting all day for this. And we go into the bedroom and my partner was thinking anal penetration, but I was thinking vaginal penetration. Two very different experiences, right? So maybe we should talk about what we mean when we say sex or when we say orgasm contest or when we say whatever phrasing we're saying so that we're truly saying yes to the things that we want to say and no to the things that we don't want to say Mm -hmm. um and then it should be mutual and honest so everyone should agree on it and we shouldn't be hiding any facts so if um we are having sex with a condom and somebody takes the condom off that's no longer consensual because that decision was not talked about Right. So that honesty has to stay there. If somebody wants to have sex without a condom, that should be a conversation to happen. Um, And then best of verbal agreement. So um, what this is really saying is that you shouldn't base consent on body language or on um, bodily reaction. So just because a person has erect nipples or... Um, is ejaculating. doesn't mean that they wanted to experience anything. We should always ask and make sure that they are truly okay with whatever is occurring or whatever is about to occur. So um, consent is a conversation, like I said earlier, and it is also checking in. It is asking questions like, do you like this? Can we try this thing? Can I kiss you here? Can I touch you here? Are you okay with this? It's all these fun and sometimes easy questions, sometimes not easy, depending on your level of social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, no matter what, they're important questions. Um, and we sometimes miss them because we're afraid of ruining a moment or we feel really awkward. And my response to things like that are always that it's better to be awkward and consensual than for it to be assumed and potentially harmful. Mm. And I think that it's still important to recognize, even outside of sex, but if we're thinking about, um, you know, hugging or touching someone's hair or using someone's stuff, we still need that consent to be there. Um, So we still need to ask them. We still need to be honest about what we're doing. Um, We still need to have it be mutual, right? We still need all of these things, even though it's not in a sexual context. Um. Something else that's not in our definition, but I think um is still really important to talk about is that it's also reversible. So I can change my mind and you can change your mind, and everyone in this whole planet can change their mind. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about sex and my partner and I are like butt naked already in bed, and I say, actually I changed my mind, my partner has to respect that. And then we won't do that. Maybe we'll go watch a movie instead. Or maybe we'll put our clothes back on. I don't know. Something will happen. But not the thing that was asked originally because I changed my mind. And that's very okay. And we have to respect that always. So that's kind of a big explanation of what consent is. But I still think that we need to talk about what consent is not. Mm. So consent is not silence. We cannot base our actions on someone else's lack of verbalization. So if I ask my partner, do you want to have sex? And they say nothing. I don't get to go forward to having sex with them. Because they never said, yes, I want to do this. I don't know what they're feeling. Maybe they didn't hear me. Or maybe they're too scared to answer and I should ask again. Or maybe we should just have a conversation. Or something else. But definitely not sex. Consent um, is also... Or consent cannot be... Um, happening, if there's any type of coercion happening. So coercion can look like a lot of different things. It can be begging or nagging.
0: (laughs) Showing off your aggressive car. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. Sometimes that's it too. (laughs) Um, It might also be persuading or threatening or intimidating It could be locking a door so that somebody can't get out of a room. Basically, what coercion is doing is it is taking away the ability to say no and only leaving yes as an option. But when we do that, we're making yes as an invalid option because we don't actually have all these different things that we can say. We don't have the ability to decide because we're being pushed in one way. So, of course, if measures are being used to get consent, it's no longer consent. Um, And then we mentioned this earlier, um, but consent can't happen if a person is intoxicated or incapacitated. So, incapacitated can mean intoxication sometimes, um, whether that's with alcohol or any other sort of drug. It might also mean just sleeping or being passed out. Whether it's because I'm really, really tired or I'm taking some medicine or any other reason that you sleep really hard or you pass out, that's still a form of incapacitation and doesn't allow for sex to happen or for any sort of consent to occur.
0: Um, yep. That's about all I wanted to say. All right. But do you have any questions? Yeah. So I think um, it's actually the next question. I think it leads in. So... Um, consent is often focused on in a romantic setting. And I think you touched on it when, like when using someone else's stuff. Um, But again, I want to focus on that friendship piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And you mentioned it in part one, where say you and uh, your best friend or me and a pal, like we every Tuesday do that thing. Right. Um, That should also be like a consensual thing. Like you uh, say they don't and you get really upset and you make them feel guilty. Yeah. Like that is also, um, not consensual that's kind of using that coercion um and so i wanted to talk about like maybe what that might look like in in different relationships um and and not just in terms of sex
1: yeah i think that that's actually been sort of um brought up a lot more i think i've seen like a lot of jokes usually Mm. um on like facebook or other social media about how you know, if I go to Thanksgiving and my mom tells me to kiss Aunt Peggy, I shouldn't have to kiss Aunt Peggy. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of times people... Well, I shouldn't say a lot. I think sometimes people are joking when they have posted those types of images or or um, statuses. But I think that's really important to recognize that if I don't want to kiss Aunt Peggy on the cheek, I shouldn't have to because... <laughs> I'm my own person and I get to decide who I share my body or my emotions or my whatever with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I honestly think that consent conversations would be so much easier if we started them in families and then transferred them over to friendship and then transferred them over to relationships Mm -hmm. because it would be starting... When everything else starts, when we start doing our ABCs, we should also be talking about, hey, you have a body and you get to decide what to do with that body. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it can it can transfer over into friendships where our friends are not obligated to us, and we shouldn't make assumptions about their schedules or about their feelings towards us because of their busyness or lack of business or whatever else may be happening. No one is obligated to us in any way. Except for like, you know, I guess our parents for like birthing us and they should feed us and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um but like in terms of friends or relationships or coworkers or anything along those lines, there's no sort of obligation and there should be no assumption that we automatically have consent to do XYZ things, whether it's a hug or a handhold or borrowing clothes. Mm-hmm. All of that should still be asked for. And I don't think that we talk about that really enough, especially in terms of, like, hugging or something like that. Like, it's usually, like, people open up their arms and and assume that they're ready to hug someone. But we don't know if that person wanted to hug. We didn't ask. And we should start asking more often. Yeah, definitely. Um, Because if we can ask in those situations that aren't necessarily smaller but are different from from sexual experiences I think that people would feel like asking in sexual experiences would be much less awkward because you already have the practice
0: of doing it in your everyday life Mm -hmm. and then and um and that just kind of made me think of too because sometimes I think in terms of the familial like oh this is your great aunt Peggy she's 97 you should kiss her on the cheek and you're like you know that's I'm not feeling it today like I just don't want that that touch that's not how I'm feeling today like that's valid um and and immediately you know I think the fear is that someone will get mad at you and annoyed at you and I think and and um to me it's like kind of like that that privilege piece like I feel like privilege and consent kind of run um parallel and that like if you get a, a no or it's kind of like if someone challenges your privilege, yeah. And there is a lot of those defenses that come up, and I think it's important that like getting a no doesn't mean that there is anything wrong with you, um, right. or that a person doesn't want to be your friend or doesn't want to be in a romantic relationship. It, that, you know, maybe they just had a really stressful day and they need to recharge on their own, yeah. Um, and and or like you know maybe they had an an awful encounter with someone on the street and they don't want to be touched today. Um, you know, and so it's, it's, and maybe it is something about you and that's another conversation to have. Um, (laughs) but you know, but I think it, it, it runs parallel with that too. It's if, if, um, I don't want to say like, don't take it personally because like your feelings are valid. If, if you think it is something that is happening and that's a conversation, you know, to have if it's something that's personal, but, um, then it's, it's, it's an event, it's a fact. Um, the fact is if, if you're a, a straight white cisgendered person you have a lot of privileges it's a fact it's how the society is if someone says no that's a fact that's an event um yeah it doesn't mean that you're a bad person it just is what it is so kind of take that into consideration going forward and making decisions and, and acting um or when you're thinking about what actions you take and so i think that's it too is like even from the op like yes it's okay to say no 100% it's okay to hear no Yes. yeah
1: Yes. I really love and appreciate that you brought that up because I don't think that we are taught to hear no, Mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say that as a white person specifically, that a lot of times specifically white people are not taught to hear no Mm -hmm. um, because we are incredibly privileged in what we receive all the time almost. Yeah. Um, And so... I do think that there needs to be that practice of hearing no. And not I guess not even practice, because it, how do you practice hearing that, but practice of how you respond to no. Mm-hmm. So if your response is, you ruined the moment, that's a pretty intense response to lay on someone. That's, and selfish. Yeah. I, yeah, Yeah. Incredibly selfish. And also... What you're doing is you're placing your uncomfortability onto that person mm-hmm. when that is not their burden to carry. Mm-hmm. If you are uncomfortable with that, no. You can just say, you know, I'm, that's a bummer, but I, that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. that's just the reality. Okay, cool. We're not doing XYZ thing. Rock and roll. Going to continue on with my life. It's very okay to feel a sort of disappointment Mm -hmm. um, when you hear no because, you know, you may have had expectations and now they're not happening. Mm -hmm. And that's all right to be kind of sad about them. It is not okay to make someone else carry that sadness Mm -hmm. or to make someone else feel like they have to fix that sadness or that discomfort that you're now feeling. Mm -hmm. That's on you. Those are your feelings and they're valid feelings, but they're yours to manage
0: and take responsibility over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I have to peek around here. Oh, uh, I'm going to read the question as I wrote it, um, (laughs) because we've done that already and I think it, it made for a great conversation. um, I want to ask how can people tell when they're the ones causing the relationship to be unhealthy? Um, and then I added, but better, a better way to ask that. But I think, <laughs> I think just the bluntness of that, like how can people know what are signs? Cause you mentioned that those hotlines have yes. uh, opportunities for if people think that they're, they are the ones harming someone in a relationship or they're creating the unhealthiness in the relationship. Yes. Um, I said equitability in my last podcast <laughs> and I, it's really stuck with me. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I guess how you know, can we talk on can we touch on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, totally. Um again, another conversation that I don't think happens enough. Um and when it does happen, I don't think it happens in a super healthy way, frankly. Um so the way that I was phrasing it and um where I've seen other online resources for it is how to phrase it is how do I know if I'm hurting someone or how do I know if I'm hurting my partner? Mm. Um And I think a lot of times when we hear someone being abusive or being unhealthy or doing something really um, violent or dangerous, we automatically want to say that they're an awful person, a bad person, that they're, you know, shut them out. And I understand where that comes from. And I understand those feelings. And I have and continue to have those feelings sometimes. What I think is really important to recognize, though, is that if a person is searching for resources because they think that they are hurting their partner, they are looking to do better and be better. Mm. And so we should not shun them for the things that they are doing. Mm -hmm. We don't want to take um, the responsibility that they need to hold off of them because that's, that's theirs. They have to be responsible and recognize the pain that they've caused. Yeah. And we don't need to make them feel even worse than they're already feeling. Because if they're coming for resources, they can tell that they're not doing something healthy with their partner or partners. And they just want to figure out better ways of being a person with that partner. Um, So, I... Looked up some of the resources that are online. And I really honestly liked the domestic violence hotlines information. Mm-hmm. They have a whole brochure online and I actually sent you the link to it. Um, so that could be out. in the description. Yes. Oh. Perfect. Love that. Um, but I thought it was a really useful way of trying to understand if we are the ones causing the harm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so they had... A few questions um, that I thought were pretty useful. This is not their entire list. Um, it's just a few questions from their list. So they had: um, Do you get angry or insecure about your partner's relationships with others? Do you frequently call, frequently call, text, um, call or text woo, to check up on your partners or make them check in with you? Do you feel like your partner should get permission from you to go out or to see family or friends or anything of the like? Do you blame your anger on your partners? And so there's a bunch of other questions similar to that. Um, But I think that's kind of where it starts is to recognize, am I doing some of the things that I've heard of before? Am I being manipulative? How do I know if I'm being manipulative? Am I making somebody feel bad intentionally for causing harm to me in some way or for just existing as their own person? That can be pretty unhealthy. Um, Am I being extremely controlling over my partner? Am I saying who they can and can't be friends with? That's pretty unhealthy. Um, Am I constantly checking their location or checking their social media to see what they're posting? Also pretty unhealthy, right? So it kind of goes back into that dependence too, right? So am I depending on on knowing where they're going to be all the time? Or am I depending on them to come home and make dinner um, because that's what we've always done, right? Am my, all of those dependence esque, um, characteristics or behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it starts with questioning yourself and your behaviors, um, and recognizing that behaviors can change mm. and also recognizing that honestly, the first, there's this amazing quote that I can't remember who it's by now. And I wish that I would have thought about it sooner than this moment, um, But the first step or the first experience um, of abuse is not perpetrating it. So abuse is a whole cycle. And sometimes people break the cycle of abuse and they get out of it and it's super awesome. But the cycle is a really intense one and one that usually lasts a pretty long time. Part of it being because we haven't been talking about it enough um also part of it being because we just have learned to cope that way um so what the what that phrase or what that quote is trying to say do you know who it's by no i'm,
0: I'm there are i've gotten a hit for uh, 1362 quotes similar cool 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 to it. so it's sh- it's and it's all research-based stuff yes yeah.
1: Um, And the person who quoted it, I believe, is a woman, but I cannot guarantee that. I heard it at a conference recently, and I just fell in love, and I should have looked up who said it. Um, But what that quote is saying is that usually the first time somebody experiences abuse is when they experience it themselves. The first time is not them committing it. The first time is them having someone else manipulate them, or having somebody physically hurt them, or sexually hurt them, or do something else, and they learn those abusive or unhealthy coping, or behavior, uh, coping strategies or behaviors and then exert them on other people. And so, again, this is not to take responsibility off of the people who are causing harm. This is just to recognize where it kind of comes from and that there's an ability to break that cycle. It just takes knowing that you're even a part of the cycle to do it. So then some more questions... Um, that were on that brochure from the hotline are focused more on um the partners so some questions to potentially ask yourself or to encourage others to ask themselves are um do your partners seem nervous around you do they seem afraid of you do they cringe or move away from you when you're angry do they restrict their own personality or wants or needs to avoid displeasing you Right, so these questions are really really hard to hear but they're incredibly important if you want to move forward in a healthy relationship mm-hmm. and then what's really useful about that brochure is that it kind of tells you some of the steps and things that you can do to create some new healthy behaviors or you can call that hotline and actually talk to someone on the phone about it and they can provide local resources for maybe counseling services or even um, some group um
0: sessions to go to so there's that yeah thank you and uh um I, I guess the the thought that's rolling around in my head right now is and I, um, for, different things we do, like the cycle of leadership or the cycle of service. And um, you'll, you'll get to a point, you'll learn something, you'll get to the top where you feel the most comfortable. And then you'll zoom back down, or it's like a spaghetti noodle, it's squiggly. There's ups and downs. And I think that goes for a relationship too. You may have started out in a, a super healthy relationship and um, maybe it's shifted. And and so I think it's it's good to, even if like you've normally been in healthy relationships, would you say even to just kind of ask those questions to yourself, just along the way even even if you think your relationship is healthy and there aren't really issues like have i noticed this a couple times have i noticed it more recently um and i think that just is more preventative than even um reactive is good to to do
1: yeah i would super agree with that um I also think what's useful about that list is, sure, it uses terminology like partners and, and romantic relationship, but I think those questions can even be useful when considering those friendships or mm. maybe even work ties, Yeah, is that you can still exhibit all of these behaviors within friends. So um, going back to some of those questions, um, do you feel like your partners should get permission Um, from you to go out or to do something, right? So how often do we check in on our friends, ask them what they're doing, and see if it kind of correlates with our plans or ask them or maybe even make them change their plans for us? Um, Or do you ever blame your friends for the anger that you're feeling? Or do you frequently call, text, or check up on them, right? So we talked about that, the find your friends thing, I think in the the first part, um, are you always checking up on them? Are you always checking their social media? Um, social media is a massive part of friendship and relationships mm-hmm. at this point. And, and that's not to say anything bad about social media. Cause I get really riled up when people are like, oh, technology, because I just, I don't know, riles me up. <laughs> um, but I do think that there can become an unhealthiness when we continuously check it to check in on someone. Um, so those questions can be preventative in both relationships and friendships and honestly, in any other type of relationship too. So those work ones or, um, in residence halls, if you live on campus or, um, sometimes even in families, those questions can be great. Mm -hmm. I also think, um, that it can be really useful to go to couples counseling. Um, so if you're in a romantic relationship, because I don't really know if they do, like, friendship counseling. That would be great if they did. Um, that would be But cool. <laughs> um, I highly recommend doing couples counseling no matter what sort of, like, level, quote-unquote, that you're in a relationship, um, in a romantic relationship with. So it doesn't matter if you are not married or if you are married or if you've been dating only for, like, a year or something like that. Um, my partner and I have been going to couples counseling for... Uh, like nine or so months. Um, And we've been together for almost two years. And these nine months have been some of the best growth in our relationship because we've been able to talk with someone who understands relationships and can help us see better how to um, communicate with each other and how to recognize boundaries and how to be vulnerable with one another. Um, So I think asking these questions... Thinking about how your partner acts around you, and and considering
0: couples counseling can be really wonderful, mm-hmm. um, in
1: terms of romantic relationships. Definitely,
0: and I think um, too, even like just looking at like a relationship with my mom, if. Um, was recently doing a job search and she was like you know I know it's like hard and frustrating but you just got to keep doing it and I was like I know mom like I know whereas um you know a coworker or a mentor was like you know I really it's hard it's difficult like hearing it from the people that you're really close to sometimes that like this change needs to happen or like you need to kind of shift your behavior can be a lot harder from someone who's like I don't want to say like they don't have like stake in the relationship I guess as much and so um if you if you find you're having a hard time um accepting like communication needs that your partner has or your friend has Mm -hmm. um checking with a counselor or a therapist could be a really great way for you to like understand you know oh I am being unhealthy in this relationship and it's not just them who's seeing it um or maybe it's you know you're feeling really guilty about it because you feel like you're not answering it and you find out by going to them like maybe like oh maybe they're not being healthy in their relationship so I think it right and I think that I, I think you kind of mentioned it earlier that
1: sometimes we do exhibit unhealthy behaviors just because we're really stressed out and we didn't think about it or yeah. um those are the coping strategies that we used in different relationships that maybe were unhealthy at more um at like longer time periods right so I don't, this is a hard thing to say, hold yourself accountable, but don't beat yourself down. Mm. If you recognize these unhealthy behaviors, because behaviors can change. Mm -hmm. We can learn and we can adjust and we can do better. And that's a continuous process. Sometimes you realize like something that you thought was, Healthy is no longer healthy, right? So some people at the beginning of relationships want to text every single day and want to learn so much and want to ask so many questions and and want to have that constant communication. And that feels really good then, but it can feel really unhealthy down the line, right? So things change and we have to adjust to them. And that's okay. We're all learning and we're all figuring
0: it out together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, before I do my two... Oprah style ask everyone the same question question thing um my last question for you is is there anything else that you feel like we need to cover today
1: um so just one sort of piece I guess I want to bring up this Mm -hmm. is more well it affects high schools too but it's generally more talked about with college and universities Mm -hmm. um but I just wanted to mention title nine Mm. Um, so Title IX is something that all students, or at least I believe, all students should have a sort of understanding of when it, um, comes to college. Um, so this is a federal law that states no person in the United States shall on the basis of sex be excluded from participation in, be be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So when this first was enacted, um, it was understood as like a sports equity law. So um, if there was a girls' basketball team, there had to be a boys' basketball team. If um, boys' soccer was getting $5,000 for equipment funding, girls' soccer had to get $5,000 for equipment funding. Or at least some sort of equity between and among all of that, depending on what school Mm -hmm. or what federally funded institution was having sports Mm -hmm. um since then it's also been understood to help protect folks who are pregnant um so there cannot be any discrimination against them they can't be dissuaded um from taking classes or from being on campus or anything like that um and then more recently i would say within the last like two or so decades um it's been really talked about in terms of um campus safety and sexual violence and so i just wanted to make it known that um, specifically college campuses and universities, although there are Title IX coordinators for high schools. I'm just less familiar with their whole, whole roles. Mm. Um, but there are Title IX coordinators on college, univers- college and university campuses um, that have to act if they find out that a student has experienced any sort of sexual violence, anything. Um, so whether that's sexual assault or sexual harassment or stalking or intimate partner violence. So just know that with Title IX, you don't necessarily have to go through an entire like case or process or anything like that. Um, the Title IX coordinator can just provide you with some great resources if that's what you're looking for. Um, and so I just want to put it out there that that's also a, a resource on every single federally
0: funded college campus. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Um, are you ready? Yes okay the first question is what was or is because you're in a master's program right now correct okay so what was or slash is your favorite class um so i have two (laughs) so in high
1: school i took three semesters of creative writing because i loved it shout out to mrs anderson for hugging me and holding me while i sobbed multiple times because that's how creative writing works um And then the other class was a sociology course called Behavior and Meaning. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Dr. Ann Miles for always challenging us and always wanting to make us think differently than what we've taught to kind of think or the way we've been taught to think. Um, but so Behavior and Meaning specifically was fascinating because it talked about culture and how culture is like literally like changes our brain structure
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how when we are learning to be whatever identities they are like it it's all as a way of creating comfort and creating stability and patterns and it was just a fascinating course that like went through like the entire life cycle and and we read so many different weird and wonderful articles and it was just a great class so if you're ever attending Western Michigan University and you can take the behavior and meanings course definitely definitely do it it's like honestly life-changing
0: that is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Um, uh, uh, I'm just I'm thinking about like anthropology. I I'm like, why? Yeah, and culture changes like biology. Like your whole body, like yes! the way your skeleton, um, like the wear and tear and stuff. Like it's it's yeah. wild. It's it, so wild. With those gen ed classes, if you get a chance, take a sociology class. Take uh, any anthropology class. Take uh, gender women's studies yeah, class. Absolutely. Anything that has to do with like culture, I would say take a psychology class. My only caveat is that you'd have to take general psychology first. Like and and that's do it, like if you're interested. Um but like child psychology or yes. um Oh no, I lost it. Um <laughs> Um where they talk about like uh Abnormal psych? Yep, that's the one. Cool. You know, all <laughs> those are really all those are really interesting. Or like an interpersonal communications course, something like yes. that. Um and and just learn about how culture impacts because every time like if you move to a new city to work somewhere or you move companies that culture is going to completely shift the way you do things and yes um I've said it I think in like most of these podcasts college is where you learn how to learn and that is I think one of the most important things you can learn is that like change is going to happen the best way that you can figure out how to change with it not necessarily change like your morals and your values but like learn to move with it and yeah. go with the ebb and flow um you're going to find I think more success. Truly. Yeah. Go sociology. Go anthropology. <laughs> uh, <laughs> social sciences. Um, soft skills. Okay. Um, the second question is, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever gotten, whether it's college-related or life-related or anything? So I think the best piece of advice is something that I
1: am continually – trying to learn and extremely struggling with and also recognize that it's super wonderful Um, and that is it's okay to ask for help Mm. um i think that this is something that is like a continual theme in my life that hasn't had um this amount of an impact on me since both my counselor shout out to counseling Um, and my partner said it to me like within the same week. Mm. Um, and then I was like, Hmm, perhaps this is an idea (laughs) that I can think on. Um, but it's really true. I think a lot of times we have this weird, not weird. I just shouldn't say weird, but this, this mentality of, I have to do it alone. This is on me. Like I'm super independent. I think that comes with this society, frankly, Mm -hmm. which is a big bummer because, (laughs) We need community, and we need people, and we need to recognize that we don't have to do everything. And frankly, that we can't do everything. And that's okay. Um, And I think that's really important to think about while going into college and while going through college, is that if you're in an organization or if you're in a class that's really difficult... You can talk to people and ask for deadline extensions, or you can ask for a decrease in responsibilities, or you can just ask for someone to do it with you. Um, People are there for a reason. Um, And um, self-care is super great and can be really wonderful, but it works best when there's community care there too. So I think that's the best piece of advice I've ever had.
0: That is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for being with us today um like i said folks in just a second those resources are going to jump back up and play through um danielle sent me a ton of resources and i'm gonna put all of them in the descriptions uh so you can absolutely get them from there links included uh you mentioned the link to the brochure that you sent uh, for how to know if you're being harmful or hurtful or unhealthy in a relationship so all that you can find um in there please uh peruse it and um Thank you for talking through this difficult conversation um, with us today on College Talk.
1: So the first one is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. So it provides a ton of different services via phone call, text, or online chat um, with access to over 200 different languages. So it can help make referrals to local or state resources. They can help create a safety plan, help with crisis intervention, Um, Provide information about domestic violence, and they can help victims or survivors, friends, family members, and even people who think that they may be committing abuse towards their partner or partners. So you can verbally talk to someone on the phone by calling 1-800-799-7233, and that's a 24-7 hotline. They also have a TTY number that can be reached at 1-800-799-3224. Um, And then you can also chat with someone on their website. So you can use that with a computer or a tablet. Um, The chat is not 24 hours. It is every single day, but it's from 7 a.m. to 2 a.m. So anyone, no matter their identity, can get a hold of this hotline or this chat. Um, No matter what identity they have, um, they're supporting all folks. And then there's also another national um, resource. So this is Love is Respect. And this is also through the National Domestic Violence Hotline. However, this is geared more towards teens or young adults. Um, so they help anyone ages between 12 and 24. Um, and so they also have a hotline. So the number is different. So it's 1-866-331-9474. Again, that one's also 24-7. Their TTY number is one 866 331 8453. You can also text on this one. So you just text love is, one word, to 22522. And then they also have a similar chat where you go to the website and you can chat on a computer or a tablet. Um, then for more local resources, local being Kalamazoo or Western Michigan University, there's the YWCA of Kalamazoo. Um, So, I actually called them today to talk about their, like, sort of age and services. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was told that anyone, no matter their age, um, and, like, specifically talking about high school students can access their services. Great. Um, The two things that they wanted me to make sure to mention is, Mm -hmm. first, that their services are always free. So, if finances maybe have been a barrier before or are a barrier currently, Mm -hmm. the YWCA wants you to know that you'll receive help from them no matter what. The second thing is that their crisis hotline is 24-7, so you can call 269-385-3587 at any time on any day to get information and to get support from the YWCA
0: and um sorry, sorry to interrupt ywca like i know there's one in, in grand rapids so there mm-hmm. it's not just in kalamazoo so maybe if you're going to college right. at GVSU or something like that they're, they're maybe not offer the full exact same services as kalamazoo but maybe they can connect you to someone else
1: totally so yeah the ywca is a national organization um and so each more local organization itself or like local building or or whatever the phrasing would be um gears their services towards what the community needs so Kalamazoo YWCA resources include sexual violence domestic violence child care anti-human trafficking and anti-racism work and that's super great for Kalamazoo that's what we need whereas other communities might need something different or might not need the same things as us but they're still really great resources in trying to find services no matter where you're located